We've entitled this series, Three Insights into the New Birth's Pursuit of Holy Living. We're going to be on this this week and next. We started last week with an overview and dealing with the first insight, which had to do with preparing or the preparation in pursuit of holy living. To summarize what we went through last week, we looked at uh, verses 13 through 16, which talked about girding up one's loin, the loins of one's mind. And interestingly enough, on our Wednesday night gathering, it's, it's a wonderful time for interaction and discussion, but it kind of led us to uh, wrapping ourselves around the idea of, of choosing what we're going to think about mentally. That the choice of our own volition to place our minds on the things above and not on the things below. Peter's admonition about holy living begins with that challenge of, of what we're going to choose to think about. And he moved on in verses 13 through 16 to talk about sobriety. And we dealt at length with that on Wednesday night, last week on Sunday, primarily, again, letting us know that being sober there in verse 13 means not only mentally, but literally. To not be intoxicated by anything, by thinking that draws us away from the Lord or substance itself. And finally, to embrace a partness that if we are going to, uh, the word holy simply means apartness, agios. And that apartness will make you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus that desire to walk with him, at times we will feel like we are the outsider in an unbelieving world or in a world of nominal uh, Christians, nominal meaning name only. You may feel like the outsider if you are choosing to pursue holiness in your life. This morning we'll move forward into the second of those three insights that has to do with remembering the price that was paid for you and I to pursue holiness in our lives. There are three things I'd like to share with us under this particular subject matter. Remembering the price that was paid for us to pursue holiness and our response to what we discover in the verses. We again take a moment to look at verse 17 that said, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. And so we, what we find immediately is an availability to call on the Father. Remembering the price that was paid for us to pursue holiness 
is remembering that God has made himself available to be called upon. That may not be new news to any of us here this morning or anyone watching at home, but it is certainly news uh, that's worthy of being uh, worthy of us remembering and worthy of being reminded of that God has made it available for his people and for people to call upon him. Psalm 18, verse 3, if you're taking notes, says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 50, verse 15. Under the Holy Spirit, the author speaking for God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You see, there is an interaction that God wants to have with each one of us. It's not a one-sided conversation where he just speaks, he just speaks, but rather a two-way conversation where we speak to him, call upon him, and he answers. Psalm 86, verses 5 and 7 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. And as I wrap myself around that particular promise, Psalm 86, 5, that he's abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you, yes, I'm reminded that the price is a great price that God has paid so that those in pursuit of holiness can call upon him. But that word all, all those who call upon you, uh, someone so often in Bible teaching says that in the Hebrew or the Greek, the word all means all. So how do we, how do we reconcile? Does that mean uh, that someone who is willfully rejecting the salvation message of the gospel that, as Psalm 85, 86, 5 says, that he is abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you, it reminds me of the fact that actually God can be revealed to us as a God who listens but has selective listening. What do I mean by that? Selective listening. Um, that's kind of a unique phrase in our culture, but it means that a person is choosing what they want to hear and choosing what they don't want to hear. Selective hearing, selective listening means that, well, if I really want to listen what, to what's being said, then I'll listen. But if I really would prefer not to, then I will choose not to listen. An example of that might be with uh, a spouse. Take your pick, wife or husband. If it applies, you apply it this morning. One spouse is speaking about the things that is important to them and that they need to tell the other spouse about. And at some point, the 
spouse that's to be listening checks out and doesn't hear it all. I'm guilty of that often. I know nobody else here is guilty of that. But I'm confess true confessions here. I'm guilty of that at times. Now, if you can identify with that and you're a husband, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Another example would be, uh, bear with me here, teenage children. Side note, this is free, no cost for that, is that we never really in this country had something at, like teenagers. That was something that came post-World War II. Prior to World War II, you hit 10, 11, 13, 12, 13. You were working in the household. You were doing what was necessary to help that household uh, earn its living. And somehow, post-World War II, we had a lot of our soldiers coming back. The boom happened. I'm a product of the baby booming. And in that whole change in our culture, a, a, a cultural phrase was developed called teenagers. Well, that was okay for a while, but we got into a place where teenagers uh, weren't necessarily given the, all the responsibility needed, and that led to a mentality within the teen age individual to sometimes listen to what they wanted to hear and at other times not listen. Now, you might say, Art, okay, I get it, but how does this relate to God? Because we just read in several verses that to all those who call upon him. Well, I would point us this morning to a very profound, revealing verse in Psalm 66, 16 through 18. I'll read it for us. Psalm 66, 16 through 18 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. Or I called upon him, right, with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. Verse 18, powerfully revealing. You should mark it. You should have it on your three by five memorization card. It should be one of those things that's right here in your heart, accessible. Go ahead, repeat it. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Ooh. That verse, verse 18, is worth an inductive study. What do I mean by inductive study? By tearing that verse apart, if I regard iniquity, what is iniquity? What does it mean to regard iniquity? And in my heart, how does one regard iniquity? You know, simply paying attention to it, being in favor of it, uh, by my own volition, embracing it, iniquity. And by reason of that choice of mine to regard iniquity, to continue in iniquity, to decide that I'm going to go into this thing called iniquity, the Bible teaches us that the Lord said, no, I'm not going to listen to you when you're in this place calling upon me. What that teaches me is that 
for all to be all who call upon the Lord, as we saw in verse 86, 5, abundant mercy to all those who call upon the Lord. There's been a change of heart in the individual that takes advantage of the availability to call upon God. Has that happened in your heart today? Has that happened in your heart in this life that you realized at one time, man, anything goes. Maybe nobody here, but I know what it's like to live in that condition. And I can look back to those years and see an umbrella of God's protective grace, but certainly I wasn't saying there is a God who gave his only son to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe in his son and repent of my sin. And now, Lord, can I call upon you? That wasn't the case. So it's a huge price. The Father has made it available for each and every one to call upon him. And that is imperative to those of us that are going to choose to pursue holiness in our lives. The price is that God has made it available for us to call upon him. Our response. Now that's interesting. Because it's there in the same verse. What should our response be? to a heavenly father who has made himself available to be called upon, the end of verse 17, which says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Our heavenly dad says, I'm available for you to call upon me. Therefore, conduct yourself throughout your time here in fear. Well, that's a a pregnant verse with lots of insight and meaning. Throughout the time of your stay here. It's almost like, have you ever checked into a hotel? And how long will you be staying, sir? Uh, Three days. Okay. So here in the text, we have this insight that, you know, God is saying, you're not going to be here forever. And in fact, God says, I know the number of your days. I know how long you're checking in to this hotel called living on planet Earth. And when it's time for you to exit the room, you know, cleaning starts at 11 o'clock. You need to be out by 11. God is saying, I know what time I'm going to call you home or the end of your days. And so throughout your stay here, Make your conduct, King James Version of the Bible says your manner of living. Make your conduct, your manner of living be such that you live in reverence of God, in fear. That's our response to a father, a heavenly father who has made himself available to be called upon. Some verses that speak about living 
our lives in reverence and in fear. Proverbs 14, 16, a wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Proverbs 28, 14, happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Be careful, beloved, about hardening your heart against God, against his people, against his work, endeavoring to soften you and lead you in the ways that he wants to. 2 Corinthians 7 is a very revealing chapter. Paul writing to Corinthians who were involved in a whole bunch of different kind of living and yet calling themselves a part of the New Testament church. Paul says, therefore, having these promises, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 7, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Completing, that word perfecting. Completing that God wants us to remain in pursuit of holiness in our lives. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, powerful verse. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So our response to a heavenly father who makes himself available to be called upon is simply a choice to say, okay, Lord, throughout my stay here, I'm going to remain with a reverent fear, a holy fear of who you are. You've heard the phrase, that person needs to have the fear of God put into them. Well, I need the fear of God. You need the fear of God. Each one of us needs to live in a reverence of God as a response to him saying, I'm available for you to call upon me. Remembering the price that was paid. For us to pursue holiness. We come again now to verse 18. If you read it with me, we read it earlier that says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Another price that was paid for you and I to pursue holy living is the precious blood of Jesus. And do you remember how precious blood itself is to our Heavenly Father? It begins all the way back at the inception of humanity in what we call the cradle of civilization and the account of one Adam and one Eve who were given in the garden that God had created for them 
every tree and fruit that was to be enjoyed except this one tree. And the fruit of that tree, you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Those of you who know your Bible and been reading through in Genesis and Exodus, you know that that Adam and Eve didn't die physically. So what was God saying? They would die spiritually. Their, Their unbroken fellowship with the living God would be broken. And so in that choice, to eat of the fruit of the tree, of that tree that God had said, you shall not, that fellowship with God was broken. And what did he do? Genesis 3.21 tells us that God made tunics of skin for them. After they sinned and broke God's law, their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. And so God, he killed an animal. To have skins of an animal to put around them so that their nakedness would not continue. Something died. Blood was shed in order to cover the sin of mankind. That's how precious blood is in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. And from that point forward, all the way back in Genesis, you know, you've heard it said, uh, history, if you break that word apart, it's his story. It's all about Jesus, as that movie says, right? Reminds us that in the Jesus revolution, there was a time of revival that many of us that are of this age, we've seen with our eyes, we've heard with our ears, as Jesus becomes the focus of a generation. For from that time forward, from Genesis forward, God was always pointing forward to one whose blood would be shed for the sin of mankind. Some verses, if you're taking note, Ephesians 1.7, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. One of my favorite passages, Hebrews 9.11-14, through 14, But Christ came as a high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation and not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Oh, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? His blood applied to your heart will cleanse your conscience so that you might serve him and pursue holiness. Oh, church. Anybody read what's going on in Asbury University? 
before you, you know, make opinions or get on a plane to go, there are those that are reviewing this as, as genuine and legitimate reviving outpouring, overflowing of the Spirit of God. You can't manufacture that. You can't... You can't manufacture that. But when one individual is reminded of the price that was paid by the blood of Christ to bring them into unbroken fellowship with the Father, is that not enough to revive the heart? Is that not enough to say, God, my life is not my own, as we sang this morning. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. Oh, but when we say that, when we walk in that, be careful because there may be things that the Spirit of God says, okay, I want to deal with this or that and the other in your life. And that of a spotless lamb, Isaiah 53 Six and seven, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That lamb was out spotless. That precious blood. A song recently has moved my heart. Maybe you can look it up if you like by Charity Gale. It's called uh, Thank You Jesus for the Blood Applied. And the powerful, powerful lyrically chorus. Thank you Jesus for the blood applied. Thank you Jesus. You have saved my life. Thank you Jesus. You've brought me from darkness into glorious light. So I emphasize that this morning because there should be a response, right? It's, it's remembering the price that was paid for us to pursue holiness and our response. We talked first about the Father has made himself available to be called upon. Therefore, our conduct while we're here on planet Earth should be lived in reverence and fear of God. Secondly, he has given the precious blood of Jesus. What should our response be? Well, it's there in the second portion of the verse, or the first portion rather, in verse 18, that we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. But notice, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. In other words, the price that was paid to redeem us, this precious blood of Jesus, our response should be to renounce our aimless conduct brought on by the traditions upon which we live. 
to renounce our aimless conduct. Some of you this morning, either here or maybe watching at home, might be inclined to say, take a little bit of offense at that. I mean, don't offend, you know, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just giving the message. Peter is talking to Christians. He's talking to Hebrews who have come to faith in Christ. So by way of the Holy Spirit, this letter is to you and I this morning who have come to Christ, if you have. And what this acknowledgement of the, the price of the blood of Jesus should produce in us as a response would be to renounce aimless conduct, aimless living. You want to know what the King James says? It says vain. And the conduct is translated manner of living, your vain manner of living. What does vain mean? What is the word vain in the original means? Listen, if you're taking note, empty and profitlessness. To renounce empty and profitless, profitless living. To say no to or to make a choice to begin to move away from uh, empty living and profitless living. When we think about the kingdom of God and what it means to want to profit in the kingdom of God, as I'm looking around this morning, I'm, I'm, I recognize that in the, uh, within the sound of my voice and maybe even on television there, there are those that, that profit, uh, financial, is maybe their, their vocation. I recognize also that there may be those who believe that they've profited greatly in life through various decisions. I recognize also that there may be those of us this morning that, that view profit as being that which I can obtain or gain. But remember what Jesus said about profit? He says that if we, that we're not to lay up treasures for ourselves here on earth but to lay up treasures in heaven. The profit of a kingdom living leads to a gloriously filled life. A life in which you would sit back and just each day say, God, I am so blessed. Thank you. Again, apart from things you may own or have, the condition or circumstance that you find yourself in, but that living of, of a full and heavenly profited life is a life that says, Lord, I understand how blessed I am because of you, not because of what I have, but because of you. Is that you this morning? Is that where you want to live? Is that where you want to direct yourself to live? that within the comprise of a given day, you would be able to say, God, I am blessed beyond words because of who you are 
in my life. Boy, it sure helps kind of readjust the compass, doesn't it? And that's the literal uh, definition of renouncing aimless and profitless living as a response to the precious blood of Jesus. We'll wind it up this morning. By a third price that comes to us in verses 20 and 21, which tells us that he, speaking of Jesus, indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The price, the resurrection. The response should be a solid faith and hope in God. Think about the fact that scripture tells us that this is how important you and I are. This is what gets me, is that before the foundations of the world, before even God spoke and said, you know, let there be light, in the eons in eternity past, Christ was there as a lamb slain. And then God spoke into existence this world in which we live and created mankind. And gosh, if we follow you know, historically what man has done, it can be whew, a little overwhelming. And then we get to God making a covenant with his people, Israel, so that they would be carriers of the record, carriers of Holy Script, taking it forward. I'm one who embraces that we have you know, roughly 6,000 years of history, of human history. And so as Israel took the, the word of God on the scrolls after being given God's word of Mount Sinai and Moses writing it and the, the rest of what we call to be the Old Testament carried throughout human history, we get to 2,000 years ago, which says, you know what? You're so... Uh, Israel is important to me, but I'm putting them on hold because I'm going to deal with you, the Gentile. You're so important that I am going to bring my Messiah manifested to you in these last times. That's how important this generation in this last 2,000 years is. Verse 20 says, but was manifest in these last times for you. We get to know Christ came. We get to know what Christ said. We have a written testament of who he is and what he has done. And what the Father did in commanding that he take upon himself the penalty for our sin. And what the Father did in in moving the heart of Joseph of Arimathea to place his body 
in a rich man's grave. And what the father did in raising him the third day, can you say amen? You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And the resurrection is this miraculous thing. You know, historically, religiously, nobody else raised from the dead. And the resurrection should speak volumes to you and I about the price paid for you and I to live, to live in pursuit of holiness. The power to raise a life from the grave, that same power, the New Testament says, is available for you and I, the believer, to live in resurrection power. It simply takes a choice. Lord, I, I desire to pursue holiness in my life. Will you, by your spirit, empower me to make the choices to do that. And what the resurrection should do in my heart and in yours as a response is give us a solid faith that what we believe is in fact true and a solid hope that what I know to be coming yet for eternity in my life is a solid hope. So I summarize this morning again. As we said last week. And continue forward this week about. Three insights to pursuing holiness in our life. That this morning we've looked at the availability of the Father to be called upon and our response should be living in reverence. The precious blood of Jesus, secondly, and our response should be renouncing aimless, profitless lives. Thirdly, the resurrection, the power to take Christ from the grave that should, in the life of the believer, you and I this morning, give us a solid faith and a solid hope. That kind of fuel, biblical fuel, Holy Spirit-given fuel, could revive us. It could revive these hearts to leave this facility saying, Lord, I'm hungry thirsty for you I'm going to pursue you with all my heart will you join me as we close the word of prayer worship team come forward like us to sing that chorus my heart is yours my heart is yours but as we prepare to do that let's think about what saying those words means
I don't know, as I think about it, the Lord doesn't, he doesn't forget what we say. When we ask him, he remembers. And so all that we have the privilege to do this morning is again ask him to take our lives, take our hearts.